0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. This podcast is produced by my husband, Steve Siegel. If you have a story that you would like to share on our podcast, please feel free to reach out to us. Our email address is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. Please also remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and also check us out on YouTube and subscribe to our channel there. We are hoping that we will reach a lot more people who like to go to YouTube and watch videos. Every weekly podcast we post on our YouTube channel. Sometimes they have video, sometimes they don't. But you can still listen on YouTube if you'd like to. Today we have an interview with a young man named Connor Miller. Connor's company is Connor Miller Media. He is a former addict, recovered now, and has gone on to become a very successful entrepreneur. Let's talk to Connor Miller. Connor, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and being willing to share your story.
0: Thank you so much for having me and for also uh, extending the avenue for me to be able to share it.
1: Awesome. Well, we we feel that when we share stories like yours, that something is going to ring true with someone that listens. And if that means that one person reaches out for help or gets help for a loved one, that's what we're doing this for.
0: Sure. I mean, I understand that completely. Um, I'm a big believer in that too, because I didn't really decide to be very open with my story. I would say until last year, Um, I kind of viewed this whole social media thing as such a negative outlook. And really, I was just letting it, uh, I was pandering to the idea that society has of it rather than turning it into something positive. So that's what I'm doing with it now.
1: Very cool. So let's let's start. Tell your story. How did you very first get involved with drugs or alcohol?
0: So uh, my story is a little different. Um, growing up, I had a good family. Um, you know, I had great parents. Um, I would say maybe up until like my teen years, they weren't uh, the best parents. My parents were alcoholics growing up and they both are sober now. Um, so great for that. Um, But the way that I started getting into drugs was um, actually I got surgery on uh, my arm. I was a baseball player in high school and um, my sophomore year of high school. It was like I was at my prime of my high school career. Like I had all these colleges that I was talking to. Like I had this great future planned out where I thought like, hey, look, I'm going to go play pro baseball. This is my thing. This is my destiny. And my sophomore year, I hurt my arm and uh, I had to get surgery. So I was out for the whole season. And when I first uh, got hurt and got the surgery, of course, they prescribed you painkillers. And I started to take those. And that was a time in my life where I would say I had no sense of self-identity. My whole life, all I ever thought was my destiny is I'm going to play professional baseball. Nothing else matters, period. So I felt like my whole life had kind of been taken away from me uh, in a sense, because that's all I had ever worked for up until that point. So I started taking the painkillers and they relieved the pain as well as kind of relieved the lingering thoughts of like, Oh, my life is over. Like, who am I now? Um, So when I started to take those, obviously they ran out at some point. Um, And then I started to smoke pot heavily uh, with friends and stuff, you know, at that age, it's like when everyone, you know, kind of experiments with marijuana and stuff like that. Um, So I started doing that. And then that escalated super quickly too. I would say within, eight months of me smoking weed for the first time i was doing heroin wow. um But yeah, it's not it a gateway a, drug no i mean i'm being facetious I just,
1: when i say that
0: uh, sure i and and i'll speak to that because my thing is like i think the, the gateway drugs are uh un, emotions that you haven't dealt with in my opinion okay. that's the biggest gateway drug that you can have that's is a good way suppressed. to put it
1: and you also sure. had painkillers as a gateway drug
0: yeah, exactly.
1: What painkillers were you prescribed, Connor?
0: It was just the standard like hydrocodone that you would get okay. or oxycodone, uh, okay. you know, the one that's mixed with acetaminophen uh, that they give you after you get any kind of operation and whatnot.
1: Okay, fair enough. But you make a good point that while, yes, we can say that marijuana is a gateway drug and can lead to, to heavier drugs, there's obviously an underlying cause before you sure. get into marijuana. Anyway, Yeah, and I feel like trauma ahead.
0: is the biggest gateway drug, you know, honestly. And, uh, and I just learned that because I'm a big believer in counseling now. I did counseling for multiple years up until this point to kind of figure out even how to share with you what I'm sharing. Right. Um, so I'm a big believer in that.
1: Awesome. So you went pretty much from marijuana to hardcore. And what was that like and how long did that go on?
0: So I did... I did, I would say, so I was an intravenous drug user. I first used intravenous drugs when I was 17. Wow. And that lasted from, it was on and off for four years, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, um, and then stopped at 22. Um, now I know that's like, it's it's crazy because it's such a young age and, and, and fairly short time span compared to the time span that you see like with a lot of addicts, It's from my experience at least. Um, but I was blessed with multiple different things thrown my way to keep me as far away from hospital as drugs i 've been to jail multiple times rehab six times i 've been homeless. Um, all of these different things were things that helped me get back on the path to not using drugs um, but yeah i mean it 's crazy how quick this thing can escalate
1: okay I, I do, and I understand that we 've heard that before, and interesting that you bring up the point about trauma because the interview that I just did yesterday um, was all about, uh, childhood trauma that led this individual to starting drugs. So what, you know, one of the, the, one of the key things we like to talk about on the podcast, because we feel that it will resonate with our listeners is what we call the point of no return. Like the point at which you had your own wake up call and you had to, you knew that you had to make a change or, you know, you might die. What was that for you? And there may be more than one, but what was that? for Yeah. You?
0: So I would say I've had several point of no return. Um, and I know, I mean, I'm sure you hear this a lot with addiction and talking about it. You know, a lot of people have several rock bottoms before they hit like rock, rock, rock bottom. Right. Um, so for me, I mean, it was, I went to jail multiple times, got out, still went right back to drugs. Um, when I was in high school, when I was 18 years old, I got sent to a wilderness program. Uh, I did the wilderness program. I lived in Utah for the rest of my senior year. I got a scholarship to the university of Utah to play baseball, Turned that scholarship down to come back to where I lived in Jacksonville and be with a girl I was with at the time. Two weeks later, I was addicted to drugs again back in jail. So after that, I got back out of jail. Uh, I was on probation for two years. I relapsed again. I overdosed technically dying twice. Um, Mm -hmm. I got in a DUI, uh, I got in a D, I got a car accident and got a DUI, um, which caused me to violate a probation. I went back to jail for another year. Um, I got out of jail and I still was partying. I still was doing these things. Um, And even after having had all of this misfortune up until that point with the uh, overdoses, with the different stints behind bars, with rehabs, stealing from my family, like all this stuff. None of that was even my point of no return. My point of no return was a little bit different. My point of no return was when I got out of jail the final time I was working. I had saved up enough money to buy my first car with my own money. I bought my first car. I went to a party that night and I got obliterated drunk out of my mind. I was driving home and I got pulled over by a police officer. Now, granted, at this time I was on probation so I should have went back to jail. Right. So i got pulled over by a police officer and he asked me to see my license whatnot i had already made up my mind that i was going to go to jail i was like i'm screwed right so he asked me if i had been drinking and i told him yes and he looked at me with this look that i hadn't really ever seen before um it was like such compassion and and i and i was like what is what's this guy doing you know so he asked me if i could call somebody to come pick me up and uh you know it blew my mind i was like so my whole life up until this point anytime i had gotten in trouble It was always jail it was always punishment it was always something 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 some kind of consequence um and i never felt like anyone really believed in me to like change my life right so at this point when he asked me if i could have somebody come pick me up my whole script in my head changed and i had this feeling up until that point that the world's out to get me like the world is just inherently negative. Like nothing good is going to happen for me. So that night when this cop let my brother come pick me up and didn't take me to jail, he showed me that it wasn't. And the next morning I woke up and I decided to change my entire life. I deleted every contact out of my cell phone. I made a con. I looked myself in the mirror and I made a conscious decision that day that I was going to chase the person that I wanted to be and not give up when it got hard halfway. Um, and wow. ever since then, I haven't really turned back.
1: Wow. Wow. I mean, that... That's huge, you know that that someone could see that there was goodness there. Do you know what I and mean? And you know, and I acknowledge yeah, I, 100% the
0: goodness. Hundred percent get it. And my thing is, like, up until that point, I had never really experienced empathy, and I still didn't really know what it was when that happened that day. It was years later that I sat down in my in an office with my therapist, who I was going to, and we went through that whole scenario and he was like you know what man like you you just never had experienced real empathy up until that point right and uh you know i was like wow that that changed my whole perspective on my life i started putting empathy in my top 3 uh character traits on anything i was doing whether it be life or my business
1: wow that's amazing have you ever just out of curiosity have you ever found the cop again, found. or talk to him? No, or, not well. yet. No.
0: So actually, I found, fa- it's funny, I found out last week, there's a gentleman that works for me, whose brother works on the police force for that county that I got pulled over in. Yep. So I started thinking about this. And I was like, man, I would love to just, I would really love to just sit down and tell that guy thank you. And yeah. tell him how much of, how much of an impact such a small thing could have on a person and just encourage him and let him know, hey, man, what you're doing is working.
1: Yeah. Wow. Because
0: there's so much negativity that you see with law enforcement and every experience that I've had with law enforcement has been completely because I was being an idiot. Had nothing to do with the law enforcement. Right. So, I mean, it would be nice to come from a perspective of somebody who's been through all of this trouble and got, you know, arrested and all of this stuff to be able to say, hey, it was not law enforcement.
1: Right. Right. It's interesting it's just a, such a fascinating story that you, you got that type of response from this guy. He, like I say, he obviously looked at you and you didn't lie to him. You know, you no, told him. No, I mean, him. I was,
0: I was, I had already fully accepted that I was done.
1: And you're going back to jail. Yeah.
0: So yeah, you're 100%. like, okay,
1: mm-hmm. and that's fascinating. What a, what a great story. You said you were homeless. When was that in this whole scenario?
0: Yeah. So I know I I can skip a beat on the story because there's so many different layers and it's it's, it's like it happened in such a short period of time. You just kind of glossed over
1: it. You said, oh, I was homeless.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So um, when I moved to Utah and I came back from Utah um, and I was in jail later on that year, um, I did a stint in jail. I got out and it was at that time I was on probation for three years after about 20 months of that probation I relapsed and um I was actually living in a halfway house while I was using drugs um which is crazy to me because like how could and and that's a whole different story like in the halfway house system and stuff like that you know there's a lot of halfway house system that's doing well and then you have the other side that's like hey you know just pay your rent and do whatever and I was right and I was at one of those kind of halfway houses which um you know, I, I only really went because it was a requirement of my probation. Right. Um, so I was still using while I was in the house. And um, I finally got kicked out of that halfway house. And I went to go live with my mom. And uh, my mom knew that I was back on drugs. So there was one night where she came out and I was sleeping on her couch. And she just tapped me on the foot and she said, you got to go. And, uh, you know, I looked at her like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you got to go. I'm not going to enable you to do this anymore. Um, so I left and I wasn't allowed, I wasn't allowed at my mom's house. I wasn't allowed at my dad's house. I wasn't allowed anywhere near my family. Granted, rightfully so. I mean, with the decisions I was making, but, um, it was for about six months where I either just couch surf or I lived in my car. Uh, eventually my car got repossessed. So I was kind of like either living somewhere where I could find a couch or sleeping on the streets or on the beach or anything.
1: Wow. Now, you had said that your parents were both alcoholics. When you ended up getting addicted to drugs, were they still alcoholics or had they gotten clean by then? No, they
0: had gotten sober by then. Okay. Yeah, which is so ironic, though, right? Because, you know, growing up, I was like, I was probably more anti drug than the DARE program. Like, I was like, I am not touching this ever. I saw it ruin my parents' marriage, I saw it ruin my childhood. Like, I'm not going to do this. Um, And then eventually it was like, I became the exact thing I said I wouldn't. Right.
1: Wow. Okay. So how long ago was it that this cop gave you a second chance? When was that?
0: This was a little over 4 years ago.
1: Okay. So you're you're a little over 4 years clean and sober. Mhm. Awesome. Very cool.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's a beautiful thing. It's it's such a blessing.
1: That's awesome. So it wasn't really treatment that got you to that point. It was more
0: no, I mean, I would say there was a few treatment facilities that I went to where I learned some principles that I carried over into my life and even still use to this day. Um, but I would say for the most part, I didn't get a whole lot out of treatment.
1: Okay. Yeah, you know, some people do. Some people get a lot out of it. The interview I just did, he and his wife just she got pregnant and they decided, okay, we're done. We're not going to party anymore.
0: Sure. So
1: it it's different for different people and it's I that's why I like telling stories like yours because it's going to resonate with someone. Do you know what I mean? I get it. And then did you end up going to college or what did you do
0: after this? I went to college for a little bit and I ended up dropping out, um, I actually was taking college classes during that period where I was homeless and using drugs. Okay. Um, and eventually it just became to a point where I was just like, hey, I, I, you know, this isn't why am I even taking these classes? Like, I just want to go get high.
1: Right. Right. So then what happened next? What where where did life take you after that?
0: So after that, um, I got in a car accident and crashed my car. Um, and it, funny enough, I wasn't drinking. Um, I actually wasn't on drugs or anything. Well, I was huffing computer dusters, oh. um, which they make you like where you can't really see or anything, just super space. It's like, uh, I don't know, like you almost black out when you, uh, huff them. Okay. And, uh, I was driving my car home from somewhere. I can't really remember where I was. Um, but I huffed enough to the point where I blacked out and ran my car off the road and ran into a tree.
1: Okay. Um,
0: and I woke up to a police officer over me with like a flashlight asking me if I was okay. And, um, you know, I was like, whoa, I didn't even know where I was or anything. He's like, hey, have you been drinking? I'm like, no, because I hadn't. Um, are you under the influence of any drugs? And I said no, because I wasn't besides the computer duster. And uh, he made me do a field sobriety test, which I passed. He had me blowing a breathalyzer twice, and I passed both times. But he still took me to jail because he didn't believe what I was saying, which happened to be like one of the biggest blessings that I could have had. (laughs) Um, So I went to jail. I got out uh, the next day. I got bonded out the next day, but I violated the probation I was on because I got a new arrest. So like two weeks later, I got arrested for the VOP, And then I spent um, a little over a year uh, in jail. And then after that was when I got out and then came the time where I got pulled over by the police officer. And that was kind of like the timeline.
1: You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at the addictionpodcast at yahoo.com. Or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononohai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount this service comes with a free 1-hour consultation with bobby okay so, okay, so now you've been pulled over by the police officer, and you've kind of had your own point of no return, self-awareness moment. What did you do then? Where did you go then?
0: Um, well, first, like I said, I woke up the next day, I deleted every single contact out of my phone, because I knew if it was somebody that I really, really needed, I already knew their number. Right. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of people have like 10 people that they can know, like, I know these people's numbers if I need these people. Right. Um, so that was the first step. And because, you know, one of the biggest thing that they say is people, places and things, and I've done the meetings and the AA and the NA and all that. So believe it or not, like that, that's really one of the biggest things. Right, um, right. So deleting all those contacts and uh, ridding myself from any type of association with the past life uh, that day was the starting point. The second point was accepting the fact that it was going to be a lot of work and it wasn't going to be easy um, because everything that I had done up until that point. I had done halfway in my life. I had gone halfway until the point where it got hard. And then I decided to either one, try to take a shortcut or two, give up and try something else. Um, So at this point, I decided I'm not going to give up when it's hard. I'm not going to take a shortcut. I'm going to do everything that I have to do the right way. I'm going to make the next right decision every single day. And at that point, I was working for my dad. My dad gave me the job. um, And I just ended up excelling more than I'm sure anyone thought I would have at the job. Um, got to a point where I was adding such amount of value where we founded a new company together where uh, a year, two years after that is when I started running like everything with the company.
1: Wow. Would it be, uh, without like evaluating, would it be appropriate to say that you approached your sobriety the same way you might've approached addiction, like full on? Yes. and, And being- 100%. And being productive. And I think-
0: But I also believe that's the only way to approach your sobriety, because I feel like a lot of people are doing sobriety on defense when it needs to be on offense. You need to be chasing after the things you want to accomplish rather than fearing and fighting off the things that you think are going to make you fail.
1: Right. I think that's a very good way to look at it is is approaching it as offense. Um, I interviewed a a young woman who, you know, when she got sober and she she got clean and sober and then had to go to prison and just approached prison as like full on offense and sure. taking advantage of every program that she could take advantage of. And then when she was done and she got a job at a high tech company, she approached that, you know, like offense, you know, hit the ground sure. running and really 100%. produce like you did with your dad. And it's a, it's a good mindset, I think, do you know, to approach mm-hmm. sobriety sure. that way? and I've never heard it expressed that way as, as being on the offense and I think, I think it's super important
0: i would say another imperative thing to my sobriety was leaving my ego at the door and i would say that was due to the fact that i cared so much about what everyone was going to say about me taking a job working for my dad i never wanted to do it because i was so worried about how people were going to view me and oh he only became successful because his father gave him a job and da 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 And I would say for the first six months of the job, that's all I could think about. Yeah. And then I got to a point in my life where I was like, okay, I can either do that or I can take advantage of an opportunity that I have and also share this to other people that could possibly have the same opportunity and feel the same way and let them know that it's never wrong to accept an opportunity and make the best of it. No matter what anyone says about it, it's never wrong to take that opportunity and make everything that you can.
1: Absolutely. So I think Be- that,
0: was, that was a huge part for me. Yeah,
1: because you accepted an opportunity from your dad doesn't mean you worked any less.
0: Oh, you no. You still I mean, worked, I worked really
1: harder. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You have to work harder because there's a bit more expectation there.
0: 100%.
1: Now, did I hear you mention before we were recording that you have a baby?
0: Yeah. So um, I have a seven month old. His name's Brody. Wow. Um, he is beautiful. He is uh, anything that I could have ever thought. Uh, or dreamt of for a little bundle of joy. Um, I will say that probably the first two and a half, three months of his life was almost harder than getting off heroin.
1: I can understand um, that.
0: <laughs> just and, and if anybody listening has children, they're going to laugh and know where I'm coming from because uh, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. But um, I would say it's the most rewarding thing I've done.
1: That's awesome. And are you married? I am, yes. Okay, good. Me and my
0: wife have been married for a little over a year now.
1: That's awesome. Well, your life is, it's all put together. Now, I also, I believe I went to your YouTube channel and you're doing some traveling and some videoing.
0: Yeah. So um, tell me about that. Last, it all kind of started as a outlet and, um, you know, there's so many negative outlets that we can get into as an addict. And um, this just so happened to be a positive outlet that I found that prevented me from going the negative route. Um, But anyways, last year, um, I just had become very stressed out and, um, you know, like uh, on autopilot with operations. And when you run stuff at a business every single day, like it's almost like you're constantly dealing with fires. Like you constantly have somebody to to answer to. You constantly have a problem that you have to solve. You constantly have an employee coming to you telling you about their life and what's going on with their problems. So it's like for a long time, I would say from that 22 point until last year, I had put myself kind of on the back burner because I realized I was working for a bigger picture. Right. Um, and I got to a point where I was burnt out, super burnt out. And, um, you know, it it comes a lot with like my generation, with like the hustle culture and like work twenty four seven and da 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 and like yeah, I did that and I for like four years. Mm-hmm. That's like all I did was work. I worked every Saturday. Um, I didn't take vacation. I didn't do anything besides work, 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 work for those four years. And then I got to a point where it just like smacked me in the face, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't even feel like doing anything today. Um. And I didn't really know what to do with that feeling because every day I just felt like I was going through the motions with the same thing. Um, But I tried a few different things. I tried writing. Um, I liked writing. Writing was good. But I got to a point where I felt like uh, it wasn't stimulating enough. Like I wasn't able to turn those thoughts into anything but words on paper. And I wanted more than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I picked up a camera and I started taking photos and teaching myself how to make videos. And um, it's been... I would say the best thing that's happened to me besides my sobriety and my son. Um, Yeah, because it allowed me to use the side of my brain that I felt like was just turned off. And my other side was on autopilot with the operation. So it was like this whole new side of me came out with this creative expression. And then I realized that I could use social media Uh, to share my story as an avenue of sharing the experience and the hope and and, and mostly just the love because I feel like there's so much stuff out there on the internet that makes people feel unworthy of love. And I feel like that's one of the biggest things that I want to share with anything that I share is that no matter what anyone's ever told you, you're not unworthy of love. If you ever hear a voice in your head that's telling you that, it's a voice that somebody manipulated and instilled in your head. And it's not true. And um, I felt like that was one of the biggest things I wanted to do with my story was share that love. Um, So that's why I started building the social media part. Um, And then it became like a fun hobby, but it also became something that I could make money from too. So I kind of started a professional portfolio. I have a few friends that I shoot with. I worked with the the Jamaican tourism board last year. That was super fun. Um, Made them some videos, some content. Um, and, And I mean, It just kind of took off really quickly. I'm one of those people where, like you said earlier, I went all in on my sobriety, like I did on my addiction. So when I found something I loved like this, I went all in on it as well and got to a point where, like, I would say in six months, people were like, dude, you've only been doing this for six months. How did you do this? Well, I worked from the office from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then I went home from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. and learned this.
1: Yep, (laughs) yep, that's awesome. I mean, congratulations on that. So you're still working for your dad and you're doing the whole video business. Yep. Wow, way cool. What? Okay, so people can find you. What is the name of your YouTube channel?
0: Uh, It's just my name, Connor Miller Media. Connor spelled with C-O-N-N-O-R and then Miller Media. That's my YouTube and my Instagram. Any of my other social media stuff is the same. So everything's universal.
1: Okay, perfect. Now you kind of already did this, but I'm gonna ask you again, if you just had one message to give our listeners about what you've learned on your journey, what would it be?
0: I would say the biggest thing that I would let people know is you're worthy of having a happy life. Um, You know, a lot of us, especially as addicts, we've had, uh, uh, you know, so much amount of trauma in our past life. And it led us to not wanting to feel certain things, which led us to feeling uh, shameful about ourselves. And we got to a point where we felt we didn't, we weren't worthy of love. Right. Um, we weren't worthy of, of actually having a happy life there. It's like you said, the point of no return. It's a point where you literally feel like it's too far to go back. You can't do anything to, to, to redeem yourself. Um, and I would say the biggest thing that I would want to let people know is that you can, you're worthy of having a happy life.
1: It's interesting that you say that we, um we had a, a young man that we had encountered as part of the podcast and, I think he unfortunately got to that point and couldn't uh, couldn't grasp the idea that he was worthy, and so he died of an overdose. So I think that that is a very, very important message for our listeners. Connor, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and telling your story. It's a great story. I know it's going to resonate with people, and just thank you so much for everything that you're doing.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. I loved talking to you. I could have this conversation all day.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. That's kind. (laughs) So you just told me something, uh, a sad story, but tell it, tell our listeners and what that meant to you.
0: So uh, last year I was at a crossroads where I didn't know if I wanted to uh, share my story. I didn't know if I wanted to be open about it. And, um, You know, uh, I had somebody who was really close to me who actually worked with me very closely. Uh, Her son died from an overdose on fentanyl. And um, that was the time in my life where I flipped a switch in my mind and said, I have a blessing and I have a gift by the story that I have, by the fact that I'm still here to this day. And I would be disrespecting the fact that I'm still here by not sharing that story and by not bestowing hope upon people, by not letting them know that, hey, just because you've done this, this and this doesn't mean that you can't come back and do something better. Um, so that was a, that was really the turning point. And that was when I started to grow my social media. I went from like, I would say, a thousand followers to thirty four thousand now. Um, and all I ever talk about is recovery and addiction and like, you know, uh, which is great. Um, that was when I started to do interviews, podcasts, stuff like that. Um, that the main reason why I'm even having this interview today really is because of that. Um, so, uh, yeah, of course, like that was, you know, such a negative situation. Um, but it's just also goes to show you that you can take the negative out of anything and make it something greater than just that time and place.
1: That's right. Because you're now willing to tell your story you've saved a life at least one. I know that, sure, you know, sure. and if you can save just one life from someone not overdosing on fentanyl, there you go.
0: And that's the main thing, you know, like I, I have a lot of uh, brands and stuff that reach out to me that want to do like campaigns and stuff because of the photo and video type of work. And um, I would say 90% of the time, it's not somebody that uh, coincides with my morals or my message. So I say no. um and and that's you know i feel like that's huge to be able to get to a point like that where you can say hey look you know what do i want to be remembered for what do i want my legacy to be and not pander to the other side and be able to stick straight on that path and i feel like one of the reasons i do that to this day is because of that event
1: yep that's awesome thank you so much thank you well a huge thank you to connor miller for sharing his story with us and so many great messages That I hope you will take to heart. If you have a loved one that is addicted, you can still use that offensive message in terms of approaching recovery and maybe approaching intervention. And, you know, if you need help, there is so much help available. You can call our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai and it's a completely anonymous call. That number is 866-231-5924. And they're there to help. No commitment. They're there to help you. So reach out. Don't wait. Do it now. Don't forget to listen to our podcast and subscribe wherever you listen and check out our YouTube channel. We'll talk to you again next week.
0: You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. For more information on Narconon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.